So how are you coming into Christmas this year? I mean, this is the first day, right? We've kind of got our shopping season. Apparently we have a week less of Christmas this year. People keep telling me. I don't know really how that works. I guess it's a calendar thing. Um, but we've had a lot going on. And so I thought maybe it would be helpful for you to have some visual representations of how you're coming in. So maybe, are you a little bit like this? Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh my God! Santa here? I know him. I know him. He'll be here to take pictures with all the children. Yeah. Just keep the receipts. 10 a.m. tomorrow. 10 a.m. tomorrow. Santa's coming to town. Yes. Sign this one. Oh, hi. Santa's coming. I kind of wanted to show the whole movie and then we could just go home, right? I, I, I'm, I keep telling my kids this is their favorite movie and they don't believe me yet. So are you like, but yeah, someday, right? So are you like Buddy the Elf? Are you super excited about Christmas? Can you not wait that it's coming? You're pumped? Or are you maybe more like the guy who's working with him? You're like, 10 a.m. tomorrow, here it comes. Maybe you're on the other side of this whole thing. Is Christmas more of a sad season this year? I, I just Googled sad songs, and that was about the hardest one I could find on there because the next line is like, Christmas will tear your soul. I didn't play that line for you. Um, but maybe you're walking into this Christmas season is a bit harder, right? I mean, that's the reality of this time of year too. I mean, this can be the first holiday without people. There's so much that's wrapped in it. Some of the hopes and the desires are there that we'll talk about. But maybe you're just like this. <laughs> Maybe you're just overwhelmed, right? You just don't even know it's hit you. I love that. I mean, maybe this season, because it is, it's coming so fast, right? We just, it goes so quick and, you, and we rush towards it all. And there's so many mixed emotions in the whole thing. And one of the things that I really come to enjoy about this Advent season, about taking these times leading up until Christmas, is that it invites our whole life. It invites all of our emotions. It invites our whole self into the Christmas story. And I'll be honest, this year, leading up to it, I've spent a lot of the last few weeks more in the middle song, more in the sadness and a bluesy kind of place, a little bit low. And I don't know why that is. It may be seasonal. I've noticed that kind of around that November time, it happens. I don't know if it's looking forward to Christmas and there's just sort of that natural lull that comes before it in Thanksgiving. I, I don't know if it's just the busyness of the fall that kind of leads into it. I don't know if it's the weather change, not that we have that here. Um, I, and I don't know, maybe it's this year, this was the first Christmas that I was gonna spend a time with my family. It was the first Christmas where grandma was gonna be there and Thanksgiving or Thanksgiving is like, that was her holiday, right? All of her dishes. So I don't know if it was just the expectation and everything that's wrapped in that. I don't know what it is, but I've noticed that, that was a part of this year and it has been a part of that season. And I have come to appreciate that I can bring it in. That it's not something that I have to put aside, that I have to put in a drawer and pretend it's not there. It's something that Advent actually welcomes in, that it welcomes in all of the emotions that are there. Uh, this season in the Advent calendar in our spiritual lives where we intentionally wait for God to come to us, uh, it allows, it invites, and in fact, I think it, it expects our whole selves. It doesn't want any limits. It doesn't want a fake version of that's there. It doesn't want just a greeting card version of spirituality. It, it invites all of us into it because Advent, the waiting season, is really where we live all of our lives. It's in the already and not yet. 
We, we just did this whole series on the kingdom parables where we we're talking about the kingdom of God, of what it's like, and they had to use these stories to talk about it. And it was a picture of what was to come, but what was already started, right? It's already and not yet. It's the in-between times. We know that Christ has come. Uh, we know that death has been defeated. We know that the promises are there, that the kingdom has come, but it's not all the way. We're, we're still waiting for his second coming, for him to come back. We're waiting for eternity in heaven and all these things. And we know that perfection won't exist until then. It can't. We live in a broken world. We live in the effects of sin that are here. So in our day-to-day -day lives, we strive to bring the light in. We strive to fix things that are broken. We're invited to bring pieces of this new living into the life that happens now to start making things right that are broken by sin. But we still live in the already, but not yet. And so we wait and we wait expectantly. Uh, we wait faithfully. We show up. We wait remembering the past. A part of Advent is remembering, remembering God's faithfulness in the past. It's part of what Israel was doing as we kind of jump into the story today. But we also look forward expectantly to what will come. We know the end of the story. We know it's there, but we sort of sit in this in-between time and purposefully put ourselves in the middle of the story. Even how we do the story through the Advent series, we'll be sitting in the middle, we'll be breaking it up so that there's a part at the beginning. We'll look at the first part of Zechariah's story today as he hears the news and then what happens later. We'll look at the first part of Mary as she's greeted by the angel, what happens later, and the same with the shepherd. And I will tell you, being patient and sitting in the middle and waiting is not my forte, right? I've told you about my love for Amazon Prime, um, right? I'm addicted to now. I mean, everything is in my hand all the time, right? We have our phone, we can get to any information, anything you want all the time, and I love it, right? And I'm addicted to it, if I'm honest. Like, I love that you can order something and it shows up the next morning. I love that my Amazon Prime guy built a little castle for me out of my recycle bins and hid all my packages for me. It's really nice of him. But it's really important. I've got a picture of it if you want it. Um, but it's important that we sit and wait. Waiting is important. It, it, something Chad, our student minister said, he said it a couple of weeks ago, we were in the office and I just heard him say it and it kind of went those things where you hear and then later on you're like, did he really say that? Because it's been sitting there and it has been so true and I hope that maybe this statement will invite you even a bit more into this season. He said, Christmas often disappoints, but Advent never does. Christmas often disappoints, but Advent never does. Christmas, tends to be this thing that we're rushing towards a moment, right? Christmas is all wrapped up in a day. It's this encapsulated thing and we rush towards it. We've got to get the lights and the tree and the check boxes. We've got to do the 4 million fun Christmas activities. The list I have that we want to do, right? It's insane because we want to make it perfect. We don't want to make sure everything happens and we rush towards a moment. We cram it all into these few weeks that we have. And honestly, it probably never really quite lives up to the hype. There's so often that it's not all the way that we think it's gonna be, and especially in the age of the perfect gram, right? We wanna put out the perfect image of what it's all gonna look like. And I don't know about you, but every time I pull up Facebook or Instagram, I leave mostly sadder than when I started because you just see what everybody else's perfect picture of themselves is. And my life isn't always like that, right? I'm dealing with screaming people and we're just trying to get out the door. The things where we live in the real everyday, the in-between that we live in because Christmas was never meant to be us rushing towards God. And that's why Advent never disappoints. Advent is this intentional season of waiting and focusing and remembering and looking forward expectantly. It's not just sitting there waiting. It's, it's not just being in the middle. It's also looking forward because here's the truth of Advent and the truth of Christmas is that God always enters our world. He already has. And that's what we celebrate on Christmas Day, the inbreaking of God into the word, world, the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. We don't have to measure up to a holiday standard or tick all the boxes because the hope of Advent 
and the reality behind Christmas is that God knew we couldn't live up to it. That's why he had to come in the first place. He knew the effects of sin. He knew the brokenness. He knew we could never live up to the standards we have for ourselves, nor his perfect standard. And he came to us on a rescue mission to rescue us individually, to bring us back to him and to set up a new way of living, a new kingdom, a new way of life that we can enter into that is perfect by his design, just as it was before the lie entered the world. So this is the long expected hope we focus on in this series and in these weeks of Advent. So let's take a look at the text that we read earlier. Note a couple of things that stand out in the midst of it and then a couple of thoughts that I have on it that I wanted to share with you. I'm actually gonna start with the text before the text this morning. In Luke 1, 1 through 4, it says this, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. The writer of Luke wants us to know that he is writing this book for a purpose. He wants us to know that he's writing it for accuracy and certainty. And we're gonna be staying in Luke throughout this series for the next four Sundays as we walk through Advent, as we move into Christmas Eve, we'll be living in Luke. And I think it's important to know this framework of certainty of accuracy because when he includes details, they're there for a reason and it would be wise for us to look into those. So the first detail that Luke gives us is found in the first verse that we read today, verse five. And you can follow along in your bulletin to your Bibles if you want to. Verse five says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. So we are given a couple of very key details in the beginning were placed in the time of Herod. And we know that Herod was the king when Jesus was born. So we're placed in the very beginning, before the beginning, right? Before Jesus has come along, we're put into a very specific time and place in history. And we meet Zechariah. Zechariah is a priest. And the priests were descendants of Aaron. And he was the first high priest of Israel. Aaron was the brother of Moses, the same Moses who led Israel out of Egypt. And so we're given back this line of priests that go back to the beginning. So we're already tied back in Israel's history, far back to the very beginning of when God called his people out of Egypt. And it was helpful to learn more about priests. A priest is someone whose responsibilities included offering sacrifices and taking care of the temple of the Lord and blessing the Lord's name. One of their duties was to make sure that incense was burning before the Lord at all times. And when we see Zechariah at work that first day, he is offering incense when we meet him here in Luke. So Zechariah's work would have been to stand before the Lord on behalf of the people. He, he said prayers, he would have interceded for them. He taught them about the law and how to obey it. And he taught the people about God and how to listen to his voice. He had an important job. And then it continues on. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of the Lord, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So now we meet Elizabeth. We find out he has a wife who's also from the line of Aaron. Again, they're tied back in deep into the history of Israel. So they would have been a very righteous family. I mean, they're both related to the first priests of Israel. They are back, I mean, all the way back to Moses, these lines of the original family, they're tied back deep. And one of the things that is an interesting detail to note that he includes in here is that they observed all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. I don't know about you, but that would be a pretty good line on my resume, right? I mean, that's an incredible thing to be remembered as. I, that For all of time, as long as scripture stands, they will be remembered as people who followed the Lord blamelessly. I love that. 
but it didn't mean they were perfect. It meant they were blameless, but it doesn't mean they were perfect. They, don't, they were not sinless. They were just like you and I. They fell. They made mistakes. We'll see in just a minute, in fact, that Zechariah is far from perfect in his response, but it does mean that they followed the commands thoroughly of the time, especially the commands that involved cleansing themselves of sin and making sacrifices. They recognized their duties before God at the time, that they were fallen, that they had sin, that they had problems, but they continually went back to God to make things right. And then we find out another really important detail that sets the tone for the story in verse seven. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. So again, two more important details. Luke accuracy is giving us details about Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're older and they're childless. Now, if we were just to hear that now, you might go, okay, yeah, that's, that's, they're older and childless, but there's a lot of historical context around that in their time that was helpful to look up. Uh, in those days, it, it was very sad. It was a burden. It was looked down upon to not have children in their culture. Having no children meant that your family line ended. It also meant that God may have been looking down on you, that you were punished because Old Testament characters like Job and Jacob, they were rewarded with large families. Part of their blessing was to have these large families. So being childless at the time was a shameful thing. In the Jewish mind of the time, if a woman was unable to bear children, she was being punished by God. And because it was a patriarchal society, the thought that the problem might be with the man was never a question, so she carried this upon herself. The inability to bear children was always the fault of the woman and was seen again as this punishment from God. And in the midst in the minds of those at the time, there must have been something that she did for God to be upset that she's not able to have children. For the average year of the time to look at Elizabeth would for them to see someone that God was angry with. And it's interesting, it seems so far removed, it's so hard to think in a society that that could exist, but even when we go to Malawi today, in present day, if a child is born with a disability or if a family doesn't have children, they're, they're still seen as a punishment. This isn't that far removed from a lot of cultures around the world. And so it was prevalent in their mind. And so she walked through most of her days covered in shame because later it talks about her disgrace being taken away. There was a shame based life that she lived, even though it says that she was blameless and perfect and faithful in all these ways, day after day, she carried shame with her. And it made me wonder, as we approach this season, is do we carry shame in the Christmas? Do you carry shame into it? Is life not what you expected? Is it not going the way you thought it would? Have you disappointed your family? Are you disappointed in your family? Can you not stop or start the things that you know will change your life? Shame is such a deep part even of our culture now, right? And, and shame is here at the beginning of the beginning before the first Christmas, it's present. And again, if Advent invites, invites our whole selves, our emotions, our lives, all of it in, and, and it invites it into the season of waiting, we see Zechariah and Elizabeth bringing their whole lives before God because it said that they observed his commands blamelessly. And I would think with that resume, with that line about them, right, that they observed them blamelessly, that they were blameless in God's sight, it seems that their life would be perfect, doesn't it? I mean, he's a priest, they're from the line of Aaron, they've done all the right things, they've followed all the things. Doesn't it seem like their life should be great and perfect and everything up and to the right? But it wasn't. Just because you're living for God and doing all the right things doesn't mean that everything in life is going to work out perfect. And I love that in the first couple of verses of Luke, as we begin the story of Jesus, that that is the reality that is living there, that is always lived there. 
So can you follow all of the creeds and still be sad and disappointed? Can you be so faithful? Can that still happen? Of course. Even the most faithful don't get everything. Elizabeth walked with disgrace. Zechariah walked with disappointment. They doubted they were human. And what could they do about their situation? As we see, nothing. Could, could they go to a, an infertility doctor at the time and get help? No. Could Zechariah maybe jog a little bit more and fix things? No. They find themselves in a situation where there is not much they can do. In fact, there's nothing that they can do. But that's not the end of the story, of course, right? So the story continues on. Zechariah is at work. He's in the temple. He's burning incense. And he's visited by an angel. And of course, the angel starts with what? Don't be afraid. I love it. Every time an angel shows up, don't be afraid. I think I'm gonna be a little bit afraid, right? It's an angel. But he tells him this. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord, their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents of their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people for the Lord. Remember when I said that there's not much they can do about their situation? One of the remarkable things, I think the thing that sticks out so much to me about Zechariah and Elizabeth is their continued faith in God, especially in these hard times. Because though there's not anything they can do, there is a whole lot that God can do. And we were reminded of that from the very beginning of the story. And so what do they do? They just keep showing up. They're faithful. And we're told that in verse 13, that their prayer has been heard. And for their prayer to be heard, they had to pray it, right? They were laying bare to God the desires of their heart. They weren't holding it back. They weren't holding back their disappointment, their, their desires. I think so often we don't want to tell God what we want because if we don't get it, we might be disappointed, right? We don't live into what we really desire to do because if it doesn't work out, we'll just be frustrated. So why don't we just live kind of average lives or kind of not put ourselves out there? But God says, no, bring, bring your whole selves into the story. And they were. Day after day, he's showing up to the temple. Day after day, they're faithful, they're blameless. But they're saying, God, we, we really wish we had a child. And they're laying it bare. We, we, our, our hopes and our dreams or that we would have a child. And God meets them in the midst of their waiting. And he comes to them and he meets them. And I love that. Again, nothing they can do. They keep showing up, but everything God can do because he comes to them right into the midst of their ordinary everyday life. And in the midst of their faithfulness, he walks in. And then Zechariah asks the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel says to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. He asks such an honest question, right? How will I know? How can I be sure? And it seems like such an innocent and honest question, right? He's asking this, I mean, you're telling me this, but though it's honest, it seems to be filled with doubt. We'll see next week as we look at Mary's story that she actually asks a very similar question. When the same angel comes, she says, how can I know this is true? But his response to her is, oh, you're so faithful, you believe. And she's rewarded in the midst of that. 
but he can see Zechariah's heart. He knows the doubt that's there and he calls him out on it. And he silences him for a season. For a time, he's quiet. He can't speak. The people see that. They know that it's a sign. And then he returns home. And as Elizabeth is pregnant, for five months she's pregnant, they're sequestered along. And it ends with this most beautiful verse in verse 25 where Elizabeth says this, the Lord has done this for me. She says, in these last days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And as I've read that, more and more, the phrasing of that has really hit me. Listen to that. The Lord has done this for me. There seems to be such a real realization and delight in what he's done for her. It's not just the Lord is good. It's not this distant kind of thing or the Lord is faithful or the Lord makes good on his promises. There seems to be such a personal revelation for Elizabeth and that the Lord has done this for me. He delights in me. He's shown up for me. It's so personal and so warm and so inviting in the midst of that. She seems to be able to enjoy the pleasure that God has in her. And he's taken away her disgrace. This thing that she's carried with her, even in the midst of her faithfulness, even in the midst of all of her showing up, and he's rescued her. We see the rescue mission start individually in her everyday practical life. You see, Zechariah and Elizabeth both had a long expected hope. They had a hope for a Messiah to come rescue them. I mean, they had been living in the promise. I mean, they were in the descendants of Aaron. They were this priestly division day after day. They would show up at the temple. They would do their duties. They would remind people to be faithful to God. And they were in a line of people who had been doing that for thousands of years. And every day they were expecting the Messiah to come. They were expecting a new kingdom to come, a new way of life, a new hope, someone to come. They'd been living for this. So they had this long expectation of a Messiah, of Jesus to come, of a king, a hope that God would restore Israel and put in the order a new life that it would be set up. And he showed up faithfully and he kept doing his job and he kept living this actively. And we see this in them. And he just keeps helping people to continue that hope. And they themselves had a long expected hope, a hope at this point that seemed impossible as they had gotten along in years, a hope for a child. And God meets all of these hopes and then some because it's not just a child, it's not just a son, it's not just meeting them in their ordinary life, but a son that will make way the path for the Lord, the one who will turn hearts in. John the Baptist, one of the most important figures throughout time they get invited into this incredible story and he uses them. And a couple of things that stood out to me in in the midst of this that I hope will be helpful for you as we walk into this season of Advent is first is this, we don't get what we deserve. We don't get what we deserve and thank God for that, right? Because I am full of sin. I mess up on a minute by minute basis and I deserve punishment and I don't get what I deserve. That is a definition of grace right? It is the suspension of what we deserve. It is God's grace and grace alone. Again, only God can do this. And I, I cognitively believe that I can't earn God's love, right? And in my head, I know that to be true or his wrath. I know that there's nothing that I can do to bring these two things on, that I am saved by grace. Cognitively, I believe that. But so often I don't actually live like that, right? I live like I can earn it, that if I just do enough good things, I'll be rewarded. And if I do the wrong things, I'm going to be punished. That, if you were to look externally at my life, that's mostly what it looks like, though I know in my head and my heart that not to be true. I try to live out of my own power. I try to be good enough. I try to do all of these things. And the Christmas story is a reminder of God's unmerited favor and grace, that it is him alone who can offer this to us. But it also works the other way around, and it's something that I've been reminded in the midst of this story, 
because Zechariah and Elizabeth were faithful, maybe the most faithful of all of us, right? They were blameless before God and they didn't deserve the pain of childlessness. They didn't deserve the shame that she carried. And we don't always get the good things that we think we deserve either or the rewards that our choices might deserve. But here's the truth, being faithful matters. Zechariah and Elizabeth are faithful and their simple faithfulness matters in the midst of this story. One of our partners here at Summit, Jim, wrote a study about Luke that I was reading the other day, and he wrote this description of them that I found to be so helpful. He says this, if I could characterize this priestly couple, I would describe their life as one of common, everyday faithfulness. Even amidst the pain of their childlessness and the shame generated by that fact, they remained blameless before God. Day in and day out, in the normal rhythms of life, they stayed faithful to the Lord. It was this couple through whom God chose to work. It was this couple through whom God chose to work, to bring salvation, to bring hope to the world. Showing up daily with God, joining in community, giving, serving, loving, it matters. You don't always get a billboard for it. You don't always get an attaboy. You don't always get the recognition. You don't always get the reward, but God notices. And he uses the faithful. He uses Zechariah and Elizabeth in his story. He uses Mary. He uses the shepherds over and over again. The story of the New Testament is God using faithful, ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And one of the things I think that stuck out to me in the midst of it is that it does matter how we respond when God calls us. Oftentimes I wanna brush by some of the hard things that are in scripture, right? We kind of read it and I wanna brush over the fact that Zechariah was silenced for not believing. Cause I go, well, in the end it all worked out. And it's true, it does but it did matter how he responded. There is a hard truth in the disparity that's here because while Zechariah doubts, Mary trusts. And Zechariah is silenced while Mary sings. Faithfulness matters, but so does how we respond when God comes to us with these big things. Sin and doubt and reluctance to follow can have natural and, and apparently supernatural consequences as well. But the great news in all of it is that grace supersedes them all. Right, because even though he was punished for a season, silenced for a season, God still used him. God still let him sing. We'll hear his song later as he sings out this praise to him. His voice comes back, his life continues on, and he is in the line of this incredible story. God can and will use you as you remain faithful to him. In spite of your sin, in spite of your poor choices, in spite of the ways you respond, he can and will still use you. He, again, is the one who rescues and redeems, and that is the beautiful truth. Last thing is that God can use you. If you're broken, if you're confused, if you're angry, if you're disappointed, if you're sad, if you're too young, if you're too old, whatever the thing is that you feel and you walk around with, God can use all of you. He meets us in our lives and he invites us to a new life. Because again, this is God's story. This is not yours. And as much as I wanna put myself into the Christmas story and as much as I wanna invite us into it and we are, this is God's story in the Christmas story. This is God's story of him coming to us. And we have a big role to play. Our faithfulness matters, what we do with our life matters, how we live it out matters a great deal. And God wants to use you, but it is God through all of this. He wants us to tell others about him. He wants us to fix brokenness in the world. But Christmas, Advent, is a story of God coming to us, not us climbing to God. And he invites us and he invites you in. And it's good news of great joy. So if our right response is to be faithful, to bring our whole selves to God in response to his invitation, well, what does that look like? Uh, I would encourage you over this Advent season 
to spend some intentional time with him. The response, sit, wait, be present. Advent is waiting. It's waiting expectantly. It's looking back, but also looking forward. Faith is knowing. It's knowing of all the truths that are there, but looking forward to all the truth to come and accepting it. And this can be a really helpful way to anchor to the promises and look expectantly to the future. So I would encourage you to take some time each day. We've actually written an Advent devotional this year. Now you may have your own Advent devotional that you have, and that's great. I started one this morning. It's one of the things I've enjoyed doing, a daily reading throughout Advent, one for each day that sets you up. They purposely put you into the season of that. But we have these. On your way out this morning, there'll be a table there in the lobby. Grab one on your way out. It's set up so that each day there's readings in there. Those of you with kids in base camp, there's also a base camp set that goes along with these cards that will fall along day in and day out. They tie together as we walk through these series together. Because though grace is opposed to earning our way, God, it is not opposed to effort. Taking time intentionally is an important part of it. So practice this simple step of faithfulness. I would encourage you. It takes less than five minutes. It's a short way. But I would encourage you, if you will intentionally take that time over the next couple of weeks to see how God shows up in the midst of, it, of your life. Because much like Zechariah and Elizabeth kept showing up, if we keep showing up, God will meet us in the midst of that. God has come into our world. He's come into our mess, our ordinary life. And we live every day in the already, but not yet. So sit in it on purpose. God has already come, but not yet fully. Christmas is coming, but not yet. And if you come in sad and disappointed, I'd encourage you to sit and wait in it with God. If you come in excited and eager, sit in it and wait in it with God. If you come in overwhelmed and wondering, sit in it and wait in it with God. Accept it with faith. Sit in it and wait in it with all of it with God. Let's pray. Uh, God, you invite us in, our whole lives, all of it. You know what's there. You've always known what's there from the beginning of time. You've known what this is going to be like. You know the hairs on our head. You know our name before we were born. You knit us together. You know all of it. And you know the pain that's there, the disappointment and the frustrations, the joys, the laughter, the tears. You know all of it. You know the ways we try to earn it and the ways we don't walk faithfully. You know our doubts. You know every bit of it. And you want all of it. And Advent is a special time. It's a special time of waiting uh, we know the rest of the story. We, we know what's coming. We know Christmas is coming. But you invite us to sit and wait. And I'm so grateful that you do. In so many ways, as we look back and know that you've been faithful and we know that Jesus is coming, as we look back at Jesus' coming and expecting his coming again, as we look back at our lives and the faithfulness that's there, but also look forward to the coming of heaven and perfection, as we look at all of these things, but yet in this season, you say, no, sit and wait. Be with me. Be present. Being all of you to me. And when we do, you meet us. And God, I pray that we will do that. I pray that we will take the time over these coming weeks to set aside time intentionally for you. If it's something we're already doing, God, continue to meet us there. If it's something we've wanted to do for a long time, help us. If it's something we've never considered doing, God, meet us in the midst of that and give us the spark to do it. And God, as we show up faithfully, as we continue day after day, one foot in front of the other, moving towards you, bringing our hopes and our desires to you, awaiting in it with you, God, I pray that you would show up that you would sit with us and that we would know that you're there and we would start to see you more and more each day. God, thank you for Zechariah and Elizabeth. Thank you for their model of faithfulness. Thank you for their life and their hopes and their dreams. And God, that you prove that you show up and that it's all there. 
be with us as we continue through this time together. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.